Welcome everybody, I'm Richard Krause. I hope you're doing well, staying safe, and happy. Do you remember the song, The Safety Dance? Well, of course you do. The Men Without Hats song was a worldwide hit in 1982. It earned them a Grammy nomination, but the success of the song didn't end there. It has since been covered by everyone from Weird Al Yankovic to the cast of Glee to a recent version by Angel Olsen. Here's a taste of the original, just to spark your memory. We can dance, we can dance, everybody look at your hands. We can dance, we can dance, everybody's taking the chance. Safe to dance, oh, it's safe to dance, yes, safe to dance. The song's writer and lead singer Ivan Doroshuk joins me today from his home in Vancouver Island to talk about some new music and a reimagination of his biggest hit. Men Without Hats have just released, again, part one, a five-song EP featuring covers of The Tragically Hip, Lou Reed, The Rolling Stones, and Mott the Hoople, along with an all-new version of the group's signature hit, The Safety Dance. This time around, they've called it No Friends of Mine. We can dance if we want to, we can leave your friends behind. Cause your friends don't dance And if they don't dance well They're no friends of mine No friends of mine And we can dance Here's Ivan Doroshuk. Tell me a little bit about uh, how you chose each of the songs. We have uh, a number of cover songs here, but what was important about each of these songs to you? Well, we wanted to reflect our influences and our likes and uh, people from like Lou Reed to Mott the Hoople, David Bowie, Rolling Stones. It's who we grew up with. And the uh, extra bonus is the Tragically Hip were just, uh, you know, my my opinion, besides Rush, the Canadian band. So we were uh, doing a tribute to them, too. So it was all a lot of fun. I've been reading about the the uh, the early years of the band, and it sort of it sprung out of punk rock. Uh, but it, it, I want to go back just a step or two before that because uh, you grew up in Montreal. You used to like to go to the discos because you like to dance, and so there's a straight line here a little bit. But a punk rock and disco seem to be at sort of odds with one another. Um, were they, or am I just misreading that? Well, it was New Wave. New Wave was the was the connector. And right. I've always said that New Wave for me was a combination of 70s progressive rock music, keyboard-oriented rock music that I was listening to, like Pink Floyd and Genesis and Yes, and mixed with disco. It was, you know, keyboard music with a, with a dance beat. Mm-hmm. And in the uh, late 70s, early 80s, uh, the punk rock and New Wave were kind of lumped into one one bin at the record store for example and also in shows there was there was no nobody who would book either a punk band or a new wave band so we ended up booking ourselves shows and booking together so it was it was kind of a blend of there was a blend of ideology and and it was it was a very for me it was a very artistic movement so there was all there was art all over the place so it was it was fun times well it feels feels to me that Montreal in the 70s was such an exciting place, still is an exciting place, but it just feels like there was so much going on and that it was this big uh, kaleidoscope of art happening because I think of the bands that uh, came out of that scene and uh, not all of whom became 
famous, but they were doing little bits of everything. It felt different than the music that was being made in Toronto or Vancouver or other cities. And I, I wonder why that is. One of the reasons I think is because there was no industry in Montreal. It was uh, all the industry was in Toronto or in Vancouver, mostly in Toronto. And so the bands in Montreal knew that there wasn't going to be a, a record exec label manager with a big cigar and a wad of cash in the back of the room ready to sign them. So they were free to do whatever they want. They didn't have to be the next parachute club or the next spoons or the, the next, you know, whoever was, was popular at that time. This coupled with the fact that Montreal is a lot like New York. It's a, it's a destination for a lot of artists uh, within Canada. Uh, a lot of artists feel, you know, it's, it's kind of part of your, you have to have that on your resume that you went and spent some time in Montreal, kind of, if you're a Canadian musician or an artist. So the, I can speak for the music side of things. The music scene in Montreal was just so diverse. There was people from all over the country coming, coming, to and this little tiny little scene too because most of the industry was french the quebecois had their own their own star system their own bands their own everything and the, the english the english scene in montreal is quite small it's it's you know comparable to hamilton's or something like that it's there's not that many people but they're all they're it's very diverse they're all from all over the country so it's it's makes for a very interesting blend and i guess that gave you permission to experiment and just try different yeah. things and 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 go your own way, find your own sound. Exactly, that's exactly what happened. There was just a lot of experimentation going on within the bands and a lot of movement. You're listening to my interview with Ivan Doroshuk of Men Without Hats. Check out their new EP, Again, Part One, wherever you buy fine music. On Again, Part One, you cover Satellite of Love, All the Young Dudes, Blow It High Dough, the great Tragically Hip song, 2,000 Light Years From Home, and then something called No Friends of Mine, which is a reworking of the safety dance. And what I thought was interesting about uh, the track listing here is that you have Satellite of Love as the first song, and it is uh, a bouncy dance track now, which originally was kind of a som more somber song, mm -hmm. cut through to the fifth track, which is No Friends of Mine, which is a somber re-imagination, uh, I guess, yeah. of the safety dance. Mm -hmm. um, tell me a little bit about uh, why the reinterpretation of the song. Is it that we're living in much more serious times is that is that what the name change is about is that what the the tone of the song is it 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 could be you know it's it's this this happened uh we we had already booked studio time we had already taken the summer off we planned not to do tours last year uh, to make this record and so we weren't really affected by the whole by the events that are going on worldwide now we had already Taken, we had already chosen to isolate ourselves and right. and, and 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 do this. The the no friends of mine uh, concept came from uh, a remix uh, project that I'm working on, which is taking the Men Without Hats catalog and reinventing it for piano and voice, and tr while trying to keep the original vocal line, just change the it's like a remix, just change the music underneath it, but in a in a sort of acoustic piano bar type way. And that's what this 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 grew out of. It was it was something that we didn't. It it kind of happened also by accident. We weren't really 
we weren't planning on even including it and it just kind of worked its way wormed its way into it and it's wormed its way into being the first single now too so it's uh, it's all just it's very organic it's well it works organic. really well it works really really well and i think that it is just um emblematic of what happens when you take a good song that everyone thinks of in a certain way. I mean, when I think of the safety net, I think of the original version of it, even though it's been covered by absolutely everybody, including mm -hmm. status quo, which you wouldn't really maybe imagine, uh, mm -hmm. and, a, and, a, and a few others. Uh, but it is a song that I think is open to interpretation, that is uh, uh, catchy, stays in your head, and it's nicely written. And that I think leads it or uh, leaves it open for interpretation for any amount of, of artists to put their own stamp on it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's uh, the message is still, is still, you know, relevant today to it's like, you can dance if you want to. And uh, I think, I think if you want to is, is actually more, more to the point right. than it was when, than it was 40 years ago. But, I do love what the Financial Times says about it. It calls it a simple explosion of delight that the whole world owns uh, about the original. Wow. And and yeah, it's pretty cool, right? So yeah, you've got a song that you wrote 40 years ago um, that still has this life. Uh, tell me what that's like. Do, do you, when you hear the original, if you're at the grocery store or you get in the car and turn on the radio and it comes on, which must happen, uh, does it take you back 40 years from today it does it does it's a it's the mixed emotions you know it's it's the past it's today too because we're still out there doing it we're still we're still we've been playing it you know on the road now like since i put the band back together 10 just over 10 years ago and but the, the financial times thing is 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 interesting because i hadn't heard that before but i sometimes feel like kind of that the song is so much bigger than i am right. and and that sometimes i feel like it's a, it's it's this historical artifact and i'm the curator of some kind of museum of a traveling museum that's going around presenting it to around the world so yeah it's a, it's a, it's it's totally fun to watch now you took time off uh from uh touring so that you can make this record so you have again part one which uh is in stores now and then there's again part two but again part two is uh interesting to me because it's not another album of cover songs it is an album of original songs but some of them were written in the 80s some of them were written i assume two months ago so yep. tell me a little bit about the material that will be on that album well, that's it. It started, the project started off being, it was only going to be a cover albums. It was only going to be part one. And uh, as we were working on it, these old songs, we started going through the catalog just because we were in studio and we started finding, we discovered a, a couple of old songs. And whenever I'm in studio, I, it's always, uh, it always makes me sit down and compose new stuff too. So we wrote new stuff while we were there. And then there was a bunch of, there was just a bunch of stuff in the vault, stuff that we had written over the last 10 years in the back of the tour bus, just being on the road. Yeah. That's, there's a lot of time to do that. And so we just, it just, like I say, it was a very organic process. It all just ended up coming together and, and now this, it's almost like a retrospective of a best of of songs that never were, you know, so it's, it's kind of, it's, it's an interesting concept. Again, part one, I haven't heard part two yet, but again, part one takes these songs that we're all very familiar with. And yet they are unmistakably men without hats versions of these songs. I'm, 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 I'm 
hard sometimes to get back into what might be considered like the classic men without hats mindset. Yeah, we 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 tend to stray for from it sometimes, like with with sideways and and. But uh, I've been making a conscious effort to get back to it because it was it was a a fun time. The like the initial the Big Bang yeah. kind of event of of men without hats. That whole period of 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 when music and art and, and, and everything, it was, it was just such a creative moment in, in, in the history of music that uh, it's fun. It's fun to try and revisit it. And you say that you stray from it uh, from time to time, there've been rock albums and people might be surprised to know that you spent 15 years playing classical piano. Uh, yeah. So there's, there's a, a lot of a deep well to draw from, I guess. Yeah. My mother was a, a voice teacher at McGill University in Montreal for 25 years. So we had that, that rub off on us pretty heavily. Yeah, it feels like it. Yeah. And you're working with your brother, Colin, as well. It's mm -hmm. been decades now. You took some time off from the band. But what's it like to have a working relationship with a sibling uh, over that amount of time? Do you spend a lot of time together or is it done long distance or how does that work? Well, we we spent we were together for the whole making of the record. Mm. Uh, we basically lived together in in, that, in the studio in the house, and and uh, Colin's Colin and I have been working for so long together. We just it's 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 just one of those relationships that there's no it's, it's, it's not even work. It's just uh, right. it's it's hard to explain, but it's 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 very natural, and it's uh, he compliments me very very well, and I we compliment each other really really well, and. And show comes in as a as a third wheel and and uh, compliments the both of us, so it's great. And what about the uh, family of thirteen peacocks? The family of thirteen peacocks that we watched grow. Yeah, they were our only company for the whole time. It was <laughs> it was great. We had a we were we were totally lucked out on that on the location. It was it was beautiful. You're listening to my interview with Ivan Doroshuk of Men Without Hats. Check out their new EP again, part one, wherever you buy fine music. One more question about the safety dance because I was reading uh this article about you and uh it talks about uh dance being very important to you when you were uh growing up in Montreal in the 1970s, going out dancing and that sort of thing. But the safety dance, which I always took as uh, simply being about the message being about do what you want, you know, express yourself however you want to do that, but was actually about something a bit more physical, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, the 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 true story is that I was getting kicked out of it was it was it was the end of disco. It was the beginning of of new wave, and in the discotheques, they'd still they they were playing disco music, but they would they would slip in like. Blondie's Heart of Glass or B-52's Rock Lobster or something like that. And I would get up with my friends and we would start pogoing. And obviously it was a new concept. A lot of people didn't know what we were doing. They thought a fight was breaking out. So we 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 would we were getting kicked out of clubs for 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 pogoing during the new wave songs. And I I went home and this thing, this song just popped out of my head, just slipped out of my fingers. And there it was. Do you have a favorite cover of it? I, I you know, when I look down the list here uh, of people that have covered the song, uh, one name sticks out. I mean, the Weird Al Yankovic. Not everybody gets a song that is so popular yeah. that Weird Al yeah. actually does a, a, a parody of it. Um, uh, what what sticks out for you? What do you love? 
well that was that was i was gonna i was gonna name that one as as probably my number one it is a great honor to to have al cover your song it's it's like i take that as a as an oscar you know and uh but i just recently uh, it was angel olsen did a version just came out she did a, a new wave covers album also with the billy idol song i think and i think she does gloria too right yeah yeah but yeah i listened to it and it was very nice i i, I really enjoyed it i i i enjoyed what she did in the chorus and everything like that and i think it's a, it's a good mood piece it was it was it was it's a good compliment to the song and will we get a chance to see you live anytime soon i guess it's still kind of up in the air right because of well, various rules we've been doing the- shows yeah, yeah, we we've we've started doing shows. We did our first show about three weeks ago, and we're heading off to the states now to do to do a few more. Mm-hmm. Things are opening up uh, little by little. Yeah, yeah. We are we are doing our it's our fortieth anniversary tour for the Rhythm of Youth album next year. So we're gonna be we're gonna be going out for that. We have a lot of shows booked for that. We have we have Canada s- slotted in the summer there somewhere. So it's gonna be. Uh, We'll be, we'll be going across the country. That was Ivan Duroshuk of Men Without Hats. Check out their new EP again, part one, wherever you buy fine music. Now let's get to know M. Griner. She is a Canadian musician and vocal coach. David Bowie named her as one of his two favorite Canadian acts. And U2 frontman Bono named her song Almighty Love as one of the six tunes that he wished that he had written. M. toured in David Bowie's band singing and playing keyboards and appears on recordings of Bowie at the Beeb and Glastonbury 2000. M helped make the first music video in outer space with Chris Hatfield and is now the author of a new book, The Healing Power of Singing, Raise Your Voice, Change Your Life, What Touring with David Bowie, Single Parenting, and Ditching the Music Business Taught Me in 25 Easy Steps. Here's M. Griner. What was the the impetus to put this together? Well, it kind of came to me in a flash in 2018 after Glastonbury 2000 was released on Parlophone Records. And um, I saw myself prancing around on stage and it all started with that moment. Uh, you were performing with David Bowie mm-hmm. and uh, they re-released it. You saw it. Now, what triggered your your need to write a book after watching that? Well, that's a good question. I had just been left by my husband of 16 years. Actually... It really wasn't like fresh then. It had been a couple of years, but that kind of a thing is very difficult to get over when you're not expecting it. Right. And I'm laughing about it now, but at the time it was pretty serious. And um, I also was mourning the, the death of Bowie. Mm-hmm. Um, but also I think I was just kind of struggling and when I saw myself in that concert, I got this idea because it sort of dawned on me that I had really lost my self, um, my fire for doing things. I saw myself on stage as a vibrant person and just like fearless. And I think after a long career as an indie musician and a wife and a mom, I just sort of lost my way. and. At that time, um, a young girl in my town, her name's Emmy Fink. She's got a great name. Great name, yeah. <laughs> she um, came to me for vocal lessons, and I did not want to teach at all. 
Um, there was nothing I wanted to do less. And um, <laughs> she changed my life because I started to teach her. And then I was like, you know what? This is my dream to have my voice. Mm -hmm. Like when I was a teenager, jumping around, listening to Glass Tiger and Kim Mitchell and everything, um, that was all I wanted to do was to sing my songs. And I just spent like decades just kind of ungrateful, sort of just like slugging it out, but mm. making it look like things were good. And I thought, I have something to say here. I have something to offer. So the book is part, you know, tips for singing, but also like resilience, like how you make it through two decades when you're kind of living a life of trial and error. So I was really inspired to write at that point. Resilience is so important in a creative life. You really do have to have uh, the ability to always look forward to the next thing. Mm -hmm. And the people that I know who are most successful at having a career don't really spend a lot of time going, do you remember five years ago when I did that thing? <laughs> yes. Uh, they were always talking about the next thing that's coming. Mm -hmm. And I love that. And I think part of that is resilience. You just have to be able to allow those things to kind of uh, fall like water off a duck's back, I think. Otherwise, uh, you can't move forward. Totally. And I write in my book about, you know, not to spoil it, but, you know, I did get to a place where I felt like I could understand what was going on. And I think that's the key, right? Mm -hmm. You don't have to be happy. You don't have to be in a bad place, you just kind of have to know what's going on, you know, and when you let your past interfere with your present, just in the same way you're talking about, I think that's when, yeah, you stop moving forward, or you stop just being grateful for things. And why do you think it is that people lose that ability to feel grateful. I will tell you that every time I step in front of a television camera or I'm on the radio, I understand that it's a privilege to have a job like this, you know, and, and I like to think that I haven't forgotten that. Why do you think some people do? And maybe why did you? It sounds yeah, like perhaps you did. That's a good question. Um, I think, you know, I do keep pushing forward, but then sort of I, I think I've clung to things clung. Is that a word? Yep. Yep. Yeah. Uh, I wrote a book. <laughs> um, <laughs> and you don't use all the words every time out. So, you know. <laughs> yeah, that, that word's not in my book, obviously. Um, just clinging to mm -hmm. things that maybe are safe. And right. I think, you know, when we talk about the old days or like, you know, keep going over moments, it's kind of a safe thing because we know what they were about. We know how they felt. And there's a kind of a, there can be that fear of not only failure, but of success, right? Um, it's just, yeah. So um, for me, I think it was just kind of nurturing what's unique about me. I know like singing with David Bowie, I talk about it a lot. And here I am talking about it when I said to myself kind of a few months ago, it's like, oh, just don't talk about it so much, but I guess it's in the book. So but that in itself is also a bit of a safety zone, you know, um, because people like to hear about it. But that was never my plan to sing with him. And he always wanted people in his band to do their own thing and like be like nurture their art artistic side. So I think it's just um, it was safe and it was kind of, you know, we bury ourselves in the safety of the past. Mm -hmm. 
And I think that there's always that rose tinted glasses thing where you look back and your memories block out a lot of the bad stuff, mm -hmm. you know, and when, when I think of, of you, uh, cause I think the first time I met you, uh, you may have been still a teenager or just barely out of your teens. I interviewed you and you probably don't remember. We went to a Franz restaurant, mm. uh, a hundred years ago. <laughs> And I interviewed you for some magazine or newspaper that I was writing for mm -hmm. at the time. And uh, I don't even know if your first record was out. It was that mm -hmm. long ago. Um, but I think of being a woman in that business for uh, all those years, for being a woman in a business that often doesn't treat women particularly well. And I think that has to be a grind as well. And that has to play on your head a little bit. I think it does. And it's funny, like when you talk about the past, I think there's like going back in a sort of a mental loop kind of negative way, nostalgic way, but then there's going back to your passion, right? So I think about like being 14 and like having my first base and like <laughs> listening to Canadian radio and also like Detroit radio. You're listening to my interview with M. Greiner, author of the book, The Healing Power of Singing. Raise your voice, change your life. It's available wherever fine books are sold. Lately, and by writing this book, and right now I'm in the middle of recording the audio book, it's like speaking to me, which is really weird. And <laughs> I think that it's shone a light on, yeah, I've shied away from the industry for that reason because i don't like the way that game is played mm. um but i still have that passion to you know i love pop culture and i love being out there and i love writing and i love music and all of that but yeah i suppose you get tired of being let down and maybe not let down but just kind of misunderstood mm. um, i write about that a little bit about you know, when I signed my deal and some of the ridiculous things I heard in the industry about like, you know, we've already got our girl for the label and right. all of that stuff. But at the end of the day, it's worth it to throw yourself into the fire, I think, because if it's your passion, what else are you going to do? You're just going to kind of cower from mm -hmm. that. doesn't make any sense. So. So the book has 25 points of wisdom. Uh, <laughs> That's I love, not what I call them. I love the, I love the word wisdom. Easy steps. I, <laughs> tell me about coming up uh, with the, with your 25 uh, pointers and, and, you know, the idea behind um, a couple of them, just to give people an idea of what it's all about. Yeah, sure. I'm trying to think of what they are. Um, well, here's the thing. I love lists. Mm -hmm. They really helped me. So I wanted to have something like that in this book and just to kind of narrow it down, you know, like what, what have I really learned over mm -hmm. 25 years that has been useful? And it's not a flaunting thing. It's really that, like if you took some of these things and applied them to your music career, you would, you know, you could have some kind of an awakening. So, I mean, the first one is about breathing. Um, about rediscovering your breath as a singer. And it's, you know, not to go on and on about this, but I think there's such a power in our bodies that we haven't tapped into when it comes to breathing. And we need to just rediscover a kind of breathing in ourselves to be a strong singer. It's really tied to confidence. So, you know, people think like, oh, I'm a terrible singer. Like you hear that all the time. But like, are you really like, uh, you know, have you tried to, 
kind of explore how to strengthen your voice or just decide that it's good. You know, we compare ourselves so much to others. Um, was it Anna Fink? Was that her name, Anna Fink, that taught you that by Emmy. teaching her? Um, well, I took lessons from my teacher. His name was Mitch Seekins. He's an amazing teacher. He's taught a lot of bands. Thornley, he's taught yeah. <laughs> Ian and yeah, yeah. Three Days Grace. Um, uh, so he really taught me how to use my voice in a way where I could be powerful and expressive. Um, so, you know, focusing the sound. So there's a lot of tangible things like that, but then there's also what I think is an amazing gift to your artistry and your life, which is just to give back. And as a pop singer, like you want the, like I grew up thinking the focus has to be on me all the time. Right. I got to sell my records. I'm going to look awesome. This, this, <laughs> this, you know, but then the best times have been when I've sort of approached it from another way, which is like, okay, I'm going to welcome musicians into my world. I'm going to, share what I know through videos and coaching and this book. And, you know, I'm just even right now working on a meditation for singers and it sounds very holistic. And if you're not into it, it could be a snooze fest, but like, <laughs> I think at some point that's, it's the best of both worlds when you can go out there, do a show, have fun, but then you're taking care of yourself too. Right. You talk about confidence and tell me a little bit about, uh, the idea that that training your voice and learning how to use your voice can inspire confidence. It is one thing to be able to stand up and sing in, in front of people and feel confident about it. But you have to get to that point where you're able to do that. And this was one of the things that your book is about. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, you're an amazing example. You've got such a great voice. People love to hear you. But it's also because, you know, you I feel like you just sort of said it earlier in this interview that you're grateful for your experiences, mm -hmm. right? And um, not to like come up with some fake science or whatever, but um, I do believe that there's two things. There's a physical element of it. When you breathe from your diaphragm, which is in your sacral region, which is where your confidence and your worth is all sort of tied to, you start using your full body as a singer and you start kind of like just feeling um the music mm -hmm. and feeling what you're singing and it becomes like people go places you know you've seen or maybe people who are listening to this who like sing in the car like you just feel so good after or you sing in choir and you feel so good after or go to a concert there's that element of it but then i think there's also like just an element of bringing your voice forward um and it's it's so attached to how you're doing in life. I feel like, you know, um, I just saw one of the myself, first things yeah. that people judge you on as well <laughs> in a lot of ways. Sometimes. Yeah. 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 And it's funny. I've, I mean, I've seen it after my separation, like my, my husband announced he was leaving. And then six days later I had to be in a play where I sang all these Joni Mitchell songs. Man. And I was like, Thanks universe. <laughs> um, but you know what? It was like, I was pushed to use my voice and it honestly was like a salvation for three weeks where I had to belt out these Joni Mitchell songs that aren't supposed to be belted. Um, and 
it was just like um, a chance to uh, get better every day. And um, I honestly thought I was going to bomb in that play, but I worked really, really hard. And I outlined that in the book of what I did to kind of like climb out of that terrible time through music, mm -hmm. right? So um, yeah, there's an element of, it's hard to put your finger on it. What, what makes you feel strong when you use your voice, when you sing, when you're with other people, you know? There's a, a couple of other little things I want to ask you about. Mm -hmm. uh, one of them, and I, I don't know about this, and I will uh, tell you that out front, but you made the first music video in outer space. Well, I didn't personally, but no. I was involved. <laughs> oh. <laughs> so yeah, it was 2012 when Chris Hadfield became yeah. uh, commander of the International Space Station. And he asked me to collaborate on a version of Space Oddity with him. So I had just given birth to my, my daughter. She was five months old. And I was like, yeah, I need something to do. Yeah. <laughs> So we made this version and um, he shot a video of himself uh, singing it. And it was the first music video shot in outer space. And there is more to the story, you know, like kind of connecting him and David Bowie at the time, which was sort of magical. Mm. And um, just like being open to say yes to something. You know, I feel like we live in a culture that's just like a lot of people make decisions based on like, how much money am I going to make from it? Like, is this going to help me out? It was just like, Someone's in space asking me to make music with them. I'm not going to say no to that. You're listening to my interview with M. Greiner. Find her book, The Healing Power of Singing. Raise your voice, change your life. What touring with David Bowie, single parenting, and ditching the music business taught me in 25 easy steps wherever fine books are sold. I love that so much because it is true. I think the, the first thought most people have is what's in it for me. And then you move forward from there and try and you know, figure it out from there. Uh, but yeah, when you put it that way, someone's in outer space and wants me to make music. Who am I to say no? <laughs> That's amazing. I love that. <laughs> yeah, well, he also, you know, Chris Hadfield taught me a lot about seeing the world because he really described during his time up there, what it was like to see the earth as one place. Mm -hmm. Right. And we don't get that chance here. We're very, especially now, we're just inundated with divisions, you know? Yeah, no, I've had that conversation with him as well. And it's remarkable because he is one of just a very few handful of people that have that experience and that can tell you about it. You know, it's okay. a small group of people and yeah. You know, so do you miss uh, working live? Do you miss performing live or have you been performing live during the pandemic? Uh, so many musicians haven't been. It's a good question. And in the past, I would have said, no, I'm good. You know, like I'm good just doing my thing here. But I played at Summer Folk recently, the folk festival in Owen Sound run by James Keelahan. And um, it was a unique situation where it was a limited audience size, everything outside. And it was pretty transformational for me because it was my first show in about 530 days. That was a live show, right? Yeah. Um, and yes, I do miss it. And... I feel like it's where I'm at my best. I have not been one of those people that's like on Facebook every right. week, like doing my strumming my guitar or whatever. I guess that's okay. But for me, it's so much about the audience. So I'm not going to just do it for me. Right. 
Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to doing more of that. Do you think that, uh, after 25 years in the, the music business, that those are the kind of things that you just suddenly start dawning on you? Like it's, it's the audience. It's, it's, it's not about me. It's about what I can do for this group of people, because it doesn't sound to me from our earlier conversation, like that's the way it began for you, but that's the way it ends up. I think. Yeah, you're totally right. And I think honestly, there were not many people at my summer folk shows, no. but they were, but no, it was, but they loved it. It was as special as if there were 5,000, right. like because of the connection between me and each person. And I think that is what I've become appreciative of, uh, not just during COVID, but just since this whole uh, upheaval of, you know, divorce and indie music life and David Bowie and everything. It's just like that magic between the stage and one person. Um, I really appreciate that so much. Well, Em, thanks so much. Thank you. Thanks so much for this. That was my interview with M. Greiner. Find her new book, The Healing Power of Singing, Raise Your Voice, Change Your Life, wherever you buy fine books. If you happen to be traveling to the United States, M. will launch her book on October 2nd at the Boston Public Library as part of their author events. And you can also take part in a virtual author event at Book Soup in Hollywood on October 19th. Big thanks to M for taking the time to hang out with me today. Also, a big thanks to Ivan Doroshuk of Men Without Hats. Check out their new EP, Again, Part 1, wherever you buy fine music. Of course, and as always, my biggest thanks goes to you for listening. I'm Richard Krauss. Stay happy, stay safe, stay healthy, stay weird, and we'll talk again soon. <laughs>